DJ Psyched and you're listening to the Get Psyched Podcast. Let's get psyched together. I'm DJ Psyched. You're listening to the Get Psyched Podcast and today we're getting psyched about reading again. Today I want to talk about one of my favorite books uh, that I just recently reread. This is When All You've Ever Wanted Isn't Enough by Harold Kushner. So I actually got this book like maybe two or three years ago back when I was in college and there was just like one of those random book thingies near our library where you could buy as many books fit into a bag for like five dollars or something really cheap like that like this book didn't even cost me a dollar and I got it because I was like on the middle of my like self-help journey I was like so into self-development and the title drew me in and then on Goodreads it had like a lot of great reviews so I was like whatever I'll buy it and read it and I absolutely fell in love with this book the first time that I read it, I used to just like, I, I would read it every time I was on the bus on the way to class because it's so small. Like it's a little pocket sized book for those of you that aren't watching the YouTube video. It's just a really tiny little read and it's really easy to read too, especially with the tone the author uses. And this year, I just kind of decided that I want to try and reread some of my favorite books so that I can see if they still hold up because I was at like the peak of my self-development phase when I read a lot of these books. So I just want to reread them and see what my opinion is on them now. And after rereading this one, I will say that I'm glad this was the first one I chose because this was one of my absolute favorites and it lived up to my expectations. So I just thought it would be the perfect book to do a podcast about because I think there's so much in this book that can be discussed. Like I won't even get to all of it today, which is why I have Ella, my girlfriend here with me to talk about it because I think that this is just a big discussion and, and it can't just be done by one person. And, and I think that this book, a lot of the themes in it would just be better off with more perspectives. So that's, that's what we're talking about today. So to jump right into things, the genre of this book, like I said, it is kind of in the self-help realm, but I'm very hesitant to say that because I think self-help kind of gets a weird rep these days. Some people think it's just really cheesy or that it's toxic or whatever. Self-help just has a weird connotation to it. So I'll just say like, it is a positive book about like living a meaningful life. And I think a search for meaning is a better description than saying self-help as what as far as what this book is. It's also kind of like Harold Kushner's experiences. Harold Kushner is an older person now. He's lived through life and he's kind of just talking about what he learned through his journey of growing up. So I wouldn't really think of it more of self-help as like, it feels like really good advice coming from like a parent who just really cares about you. And it's nonfiction, of course. This is all based on non-true events. It's all about life. It's all about the journey of life. And the book is 190 pages. It is very tiny sized, but it's, it's a nice, it's thick. As far as content goes, it is incredibly dense. Like I said, we're not going to get through everything that this book talks about in this podcast, but I do want to talk about some of the biggest stuff because of how unique the view on this book is. So my short summary of the book is, this book is a unique story that follows a story in the Bible. It actually follows Ecclesiastes. And I grew up like in church, like a lot of people did, but I didn't really know much about Ecclesiastes, but he lays out a lot of, not the story of Ecclesiastes. It's not like you're going to be walked through the Bible, but the lessons that Ecclesiastes learns and how Ecclesiastes life changed him, like how he started out being this rich dude who was all about money and stuff. And then he felt like life had absolutely no meaning. And when you read through Ecclesiastes, it can sound really bitter and angry sometimes because Ecclesiastes is just like, why God? Like, 
I, I had fame and riches and then I followed your word. And no matter what I did, I felt like my life didn't have meaning. And he uses Ecclesiastes story in the Bible to explain a lot of his points, which I think just makes this book really interesting and unique because it's so many perspectives. You're getting Harold Kushner's life, a story of someone long ago who is Ecclesiastes long, long ago. And then he also talks about colleagues, people in politics, people that he's seen. So you're getting like this book that just, to me, what I really love about it is that it's timeless. This book was published in 1987. So it's it's definitely an older book, but what's interesting about it is he goes all the way back to Ecclesiastes and he's talking about his life. And when you read this book, you might feel like it was written in 2021 because of some of the things that he says. And he talks about the neurosis of our time. And it's just like, it feels very relevant today. And it's kind of, that's one of my favorite things about good self-help books. They're not just going to feel like they couldn't apply to anyone in history. I think this book would be relevant today. This book will be relevant in the year 3000, if that happens. And this book would have been relevant to somebody in the 80s. So yeah, I just think all the different perspectives and the time frames kind of make this book unique because it's just wild that the struggles that Ecclesiastes talked about in who knows what time, because I have no idea what time period that would be, versus like the fact that this book was made like when the world is a very different place, like the 1980s, the even the 90s were not the world that we live in today in 2021. Before we were born, both of us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's like crazy that these lessons, they they could go through anyone in history. We all go through the same human struggles. The, the struggles that we have now, although you know, unique because of our modern world, they're really like, people have always had similar struggles just in different forms when things were less modern. So yeah, I, I digress. We'll talk more about that in the discussion of the book because that's why we're talking here. But as far as the summary goes, it's kind of a book, not so much about what is the meaning of life, but how do we make our lives meaningful? And just as the title says, it kind of is a guide to, you know, what do you do when you realize that all you've ever wanted isn't enough. And I think it's just a very relevant book for somebody our age and somebody older, because I think when you're like a kid, you're not really thinking about the meaning of life so much. You're not thinking about like, you know, you dream big. I dreamed big for so long. As a kid, I always imagined myself being like a total rock star, like I'm going to be famous rock star on the road. Uh, but now that I've gotten mm -hmm. older, yeah, I think my whole perspective on life has changed. I think we all go through this. When you get to a certain age, you really start to realize that maybe your dream isn't what you want now. Now that you're an adult, maybe your dream isn't the life you want. Maybe you were chasing child things. I don't know. But that's why I like this book. I think it's a guide for anyone who's ever felt this way, right? What do you do when you graduate college and you realize graduating college didn't change your life. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I'm adding myself yeah. there because yeah. I always told I always told myself in college, I was like, I'm gonna be so happy when I graduate. Like all I, I life's gonna be like, I can't wait to graduate. And then I graduated and I was like, <laughs> oh God, it didn't get better <laughs> on its own. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's what that's what I love about this book is that it's universal, like somebody with my story, somebody with a totally different story, you can all kind of connect to this one idea, you know? Yeah, I didn't even go to college. Yeah, but anyone could connect to these lessons, which is why we're going to get into it. But yeah, so some of the things he talks about in this, and it's we're going to talk about way more, but some of the ideas he talks about are things like celebrity, money, work, family, mentorship, how the Great Depression 
impacted the way that we live our lives now. He gets really interesting in this book. I, I love this book because it is just so dense and he has so many things that he just pulls out that I would have never thought of on my own. And we're going to get into my favorite things from the book in this discussion. But like I said, I'm not doing this alone. So I want to properly introduce this is Ella, also known as Miss Psyched. And this is my girlfriend, Ella. You want to introduce yourself a little bit better, a little more? I'm Ella. I am the artist of the painting behind her right there. Um, and yeah. Nice to meet everyone. <laughs> nice to meet everyone. Well, we're going to give you a little perspective because I think that, um, like I said, this book has a lot of perspectives to offer. So to give you a little bit of an idea of what our perspectives are, I'm Leanne, also known as DJ Psyched. I'm 22 years old. And I'm Spitfire. Yeah, sometimes I go by Spitfire. But yeah, I'm 22 years old. I graduated college last year. I just started my first full-time job and I definitely think that if if you've ever watched any of my older videos and stuff, if you've been on this journey with me, I'm also like blog, I have a website, getdjpsych.com in the description. But I, I definitely would consider myself somebody who's always actively trying to grow. I have a big growth mindset obsession. And uh, this book was a, a big part of that journey to me when I was younger. And it definitely has helped me a lot now. But yeah, I guess what I'm trying to say is <laughs> as far as how it goes, I feel like life has been a lot lately. Obviously, everyone knows that 2020 was a big impactful year and 2021 mm -hmm. has been starting off the same kind of way, really heavy. So um, yeah, I think that I've just been trying to figure out life. I think a lot of people have these days. We're sitting at home just trying to figure stuff out. I just started my first adult life. Like I I was in college before just doing college things. And I feel like it just changed my perspective on life, the way that the world has been going lately. And also I just got into my like first really big serious relationship that I, you know, that is going super well and that I, I see a forever future. So my life has changed a lot recently. That's what I'm saying. And uh, oh so God, that's my same. perspective. <laughs> what what would you say your perspective going into this discussion is? What is tell us a little bit about you so we know where you're coming from? Um, I think me and you can definitely give different perspectives on things because, like I said before, I I didn't go to college. I graduated uh, three years ago, I think, from high school, and then went straight into the workforce. <laughs> um, and yeah, just been uh, doing the thing. Uh, to last year <laughs> when the whole world changed but um yeah we've been through different things so yeah hopefully I can give a new perspective <laughs> yeah I'm excited for it to get right into things but yeah I mean obviously that those are not the like descriptions of us as whole people like <laughs> there's a lot more to us but you can't you don't really care you're not here for us you're here for Harold Kushner's book so we're here to discuss those topics with you but I just wanted to give you a little bit of where we're coming from because I want this to be a discussion I really love this book this is one of my all-time favorite books now after reading it a second time I can easily put this on my top five favorite book list and so I would love to hear what you think in the comments below if you're on YouTube. If you're not on YouTube, then I have a Goodreads link in the description. I have a book club where you could also talk about what you think of this book. We'll ask a discussion question at the end of the podcast. So if you want to get in on that, go for it. 
Uh, but otherwise, yeah, I would love to know what's your perspective. Like if something we talk about really stands out to you, let us know what you think, maybe why you think differently or why you agree. Because yeah. I think that this book, I love it so much and I'm trying to get more people to read it because I think these are discussions we, we could all be having with each other. And uh, I'm going to jump right into it instead of just keep saying it's a good book. I'm going to tell you why it's a great book. And we're going to start okay. chronologically. We're going to try to go through this chronologically. We're going to start with the beginning of the book. So this book starts out saying, if you were to ask the average person, what's the most important thing to them, earning money or being devoted to their family, what do you think they'd say? I think a lot of people, okay, maybe not a lot of people I know, but a lot of people would say money. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. So I guess it does matter what your perspective is, because I think that most people would say being devoted to their family uh, as, as a thing. And that's what Harold Kushner says at the beginning of the book. He says most people without hesitation will say family first. But the yeah. difference in in the answer and what point he's trying to make is that he says, yeah, most people, if you ask them what means more to you, money or family, most people will say family but when you look into like our lives or their lives, or you look into the lives of people who claim that families first, where, where do their decisions go? Where does their time and energy go? Are they spending more time working and trying to earn money? I guess that's what I meant. Yeah? Yeah. So yeah. do you think they would I'm answer sure. family? Yeah. But not actually mean it. <laughs> okay, so, so you were jumping the gun on my question there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And I think that's a, a very fair observation. I think most people would agree that people want to say my family comes first, you know, mm -hmm. things go above money, things go, I mean, not things, family goes above money, people go above material possessions. But a lot of the times, what we say and, and what we live, they don't really line up. Yeah. And that's very common. Like, when you ask somebody, you know, whose opinion do you care more about your family and your friends or strangers? You know, no one's going to say I care more about what strangers think about me, but mm -hmm. then how many people would, you know, scold their child or hit them in public if they embarrass them? How many people are going to have a coworker annoy them and go home and yell at their spouse about it? You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you laughing? I don't know. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to give a warning, uh, a few warnings, actually, because I didn't give this warning originally or any warnings originally. Uh, one, I mean, the topics, they're not going to be like anything crazy, but th it is going to be a deep discussion. It's a very deep book. But also, um, it is rooted in religion. This book, Harold Kushner uses, like I said, Ecclesiastes to talk about things. But I do think that whether you subscribe to religion, believe in religion, or you're not really for like any religion, I think everyone could gain value from this book. So I think that the discussion points, they're mostly geared towards just everyday life things. I'm not really talking about it entirely from the religious perspective, but I will bring the religious perspective into it for anyone who's interested, because I myself personally did find the religious aspect of this uh, very helpful and beneficial in how I viewed it. But if you don't want the religious aspect, I think you could still gain a lot of value from the discussion. And I do think, yeah, I just wanted to say that for, cause I, I want to be inclusive for everyone on my channel. So 
that's that's my warnings on the book. It, it is going to be kind of deep and heavy, but take take with it as you will if you'd like to hear about our discussions. But yeah, I think also spoilers. Spoilers. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if we can really spoil a nonfiction book. Spoilers on life. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he opens the the book with this statement, not to be like pretentious. I mean, I know some people do get like. Some people don't, aren't really big fan of self-help because they're like, I mean, we all get it. Okay, money's not the answer, blah, blah, But it's real. Like, it's very easy to understand these concepts and to say, like, you know, my family and friends come first, not money. Or, you know, of course I care about my family instead of just random strangers and stuff. But a lot of the times we kind of have this cognitive dissonance where we're living yes. not according to our values. Yeah. <laughs> and I and that's- I definitely agree. You do? Yes, 100%. <laughs> yeah, and I think that that's um, a big part of what he's talking about in this book is just the fact that, honestly, I think one of the things that self-help gets a lot of hate for is the fact that it's, like, stating the obvious. But something that I saw recently that, like, was really, like, impactful to me in understanding self-help and all these genres is that people were like, well, yeah, like, when people are looking for solutions, right? Like, let's say someone wants to lose weight or something. They don't want to hear eat, you know, healthier foods and, and be conscious about the amount you eat and work out more and move more, even though they know that's the answer. They're just like, well, that's the obvious answer. It's like everyone knows what to do, but who yeah. is anyone doing it? <laughs> yeah. And I, I think that a lot of people are like, maybe like scared or like, I don't know, don't want to get any deeper than how they have to already. They're just, you know, they they can survive. They're, they're not, you know, dying. So it's like, it's none of my business, you know. Spoiler yeah. alert on what's going to come in this. But yeah, that's a big part of this. I But he, start, he starts out the book very abstract because he kind of just wants to hook you in. But he gets way deeper like I'm telling you I wasn't expecting a lot of this but where he where he's coming with these questions the point he's trying to make is that he says when you ask people what do they want out of life one of the most what the the most common thing you'll hear from people is I just want to be happy it's such a thing I used to say it all the time like when people are like what are you going to be when you grow up I just want to be happy I mean a lot of people say that (laughs) (laughs) I just want to be happy as if happiness is some end goal that you attain as if happiness is something that you have to work towards you can't just be inherently happy and he talks about how like people will buy books and they'll attend classes and they'll try self-development things like they'll just go on this whole journey trying to find happiness Uh, but still a lot of people don't find that happiness in doing those things Mm -hmm. So then he gets into this quote, and um, I, it's by Oscar Wilde. Oscar Wilde said, there are two tragedies in life, not getting what you want and getting what you want. What do you think of that quote, just hearing it? Um, maybe, is it like saying that like working towards something in and of itself can be something that can like, I don't know, make you happy. And then a lot of times once you get there, wherever that is, like you said, like graduating college and stuff. And then you think like, oh, it's going to be this amazing thing. And then it's like not an amazing transformation. And you feel the same that day as you did the day before. That's like the same thing as not getting what you want. I'm so smart. 
<laughs> yeah, I think that's definitely like a big part of it. And what <laughs> what I got out of it when I read it was mostly that what what he talks about in the book too is that Oscar Wilde is trying to warn us about something. He's saying this thing you're trying to achieve is not going to bring you the happiness that you expect it to. We're unhappy when we don't get what we want, but nothing hurts more than getting what you want and realizing it doesn't satisfy that need inside of you. It's like yeah. when you go online and you buy something and you're like, I can't wait for this package to come. Oh my gosh, this thing is going to change my life. And you're excited for about 17 minutes before you're yeah. like, okay, well, there goes $40 and that didn't yeah. really satisfy me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And at least like, I don't know, like, like when you don't get what you want, at least you like can be like, dang, let me try to work to get towards that or something like that. But once you get what you want, then it's like, well, what next? What do I do now? Exactly. And he talks about this. So that's a great example. He talks about this guy who, who went off to Hollywood and he said he had three dreams to see his name in lights. To, I, it was something crazy, like see his name in lights have certain amount of money or a car or something like some possession and then like sleep with the prettiest ladies something like that like just very material like big like oh wow that would make me so happy he achieved all of those things and then he was like well now what <laughs> like like you said like what do you do when you, when you get everything you want what comes next what do you do and so he talks about how money and power don't satisfy the soul and my favorite portion of this book, which is also something that is talked about in another book that I really love called Man's Search for Meaning, is he says the general neurosis of our time is that feeling like we are senseless and have emptiness in our lives. Like the general neurosis of our time is the lack of feeling meaningful in this life. Mm -hmm. Do you agree with that? I think it definitely can be true. Like, like, I mean, we're, I know that sometimes um, I might be calling you out here, but <laughs> sometimes you um, like, I mean, me too, obviously we work nine to five jobs. Sometimes it sucks to like come home and then be tired and then have all these things we want to do. But then we also just want to hang out and relax. And yeah. And so it's like, it, feel, it feels like it makes time go by so fast. Like, I feel like our nights are like, they happen in like, 30 minutes because <laughs> like we want to do so much stuff. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that now more than ever, this book, like, like I said, this comes from like a lot of different time periods, like Ecclesiastes and Harold Kushner went through the same struggles that we're going through, just kind of different because our world is way more modernized. But I think that like, it's kind of exacerbated by the fact that I think we're going through what I would describe as like a loneliness epidemic detachment which we're going to talk about more later in this discussion like detachment is such a real thing and there's less of a sense of community in our world these days at least I'm talking about America here let me also say that I'm I'm an American I'm from America and I think that yeah different countries and different places in the world definitely have this very different but I think that America struggles so bad with problems with disconnect and like not putting community first and having this obsession with money, this culture that revolves around physical beauty over inner beauty and just 
just this obsession with fame and trying to get like above everyone else. The stories are insane. Like seeing that, like a TikToker literally like ended someone's life to try to get fame. And that's crazy. Like committing a crime to that degree for fame, but that's kind of an exaggerated version of what a lot of people are feeling, right? Is this money hunger, this drive towards stuff as opposed to just focusing on other things in our lives that are meaningful. And I think that's what ends up making us feel this kind of neurosis of, well, what's the meaning of life, right? We have we have to pay bills, so we have to go to work. So we have less time with our friends and family. But a lot of the times, those of us, and I'm gonna put myself in this category because I do feel very fortunate. Those of us who are in a workplace where our boss truly cares about us as people and cares about our mental well-being and really likes to make our environment feel comfortable. We are the lucky ones. Not Most people don't have that at work. Most people go into work and their coworkers are frustrating and not really kind to them. And it's like this disconnect because you're spending all day with people that you maybe don't like that much, or maybe you do like these people, but they're not like your closest friends and family. So it's like, you don't really get to spend the time with the people that you want to spend the time with. You're mm-hmm. doing all this work and you still feel like sometimes you're struggling financially. I know I feel that way all the time. Like I work, but I still struggle with things and time is fleeting. And I feel like the weekend I blink and it's over. It yeah. kind of makes you feel a little meaningless sometimes. And it's mm-hmm. crazy to think that someone like Ecclesiastes who didn't have a nine to five office job also found himself feeling this same neurosis type feeling. Mm-hmm. But yeah, because I don't want to spend too much time on any one thing in this discussion because there's a lot to go through and I don't want this to be the world's longest podcast. But basically, to to sum up the next part of this, he just wants to talk about what it means to be human, what it means to truly be alive. Instead of feeling like we waste our lives, instead of living and feeling like when we go out of this world that we didn't make any impact, how do we make ourselves feel like we did more? How would that change anything, you know, if, if we did feel like we could do more, we could be more, is that what it means to be human? And something I find very interesting, and I'm glad I already mentioned this, that, you know, I'm here in America and, you know, it doesn't matter where you are, you probably, as soon as you hear that, you're like, oh yeah, an American mm-hmm. perspective, awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but Having a time. there's this one story he tells in the book, and I think it is so good it's when he's talking about this mountain and there's this mountain right and so there's this american person who's coming to climb this mountain it's a very steep big mountain and all the locals near the mountain they walk up it like it's nothing they go up the mountain not a big deal they're just going up the mountain so this guy he tries to go up the mountain and he just can't do it he's winded he's barely making it up he's like i thought i could do this mountain like i wanted to prove that i could do this mountain All these people do this mountain like it's nothing and I'm here and I can't get up the mountain. And the people say, well, that's because you have an American mentality. You're looking at this thing like it's some kind of a test or a challenge and you're trying to fight it or overcome it or defeat it. But if you fight the mountain, the mountain is stronger than you. It can fight back. But the locals, they don't see it as a competition or a test or something to overcome. They're just like, I'm going to go up this mountain. I'm just going to be a part of this mountain. And so the mountain lifts them up and pulls them up like it's nothing. And I I don't know if that story resonates with you or anything, but the whole point in it is that this concept of winning in life, 
winning money, winning oh, yeah. fame, winning anything. Like it's a challenge. Like you need, like life is some kind of test you need to pass or a challenge you need to overcome. It just, if, if there's winners, there has to be losers. Mm-hmm. That's why the mountain is fighting back. If you try to take the mountain, like you need to win this mountain, it's, there's gotta be a loser. It's either gonna be you or the mountain and the mountain is stronger mm-hmm. than you. Yeah. But if you look at life in this perspective of it's not about there needs to be winners or losers, I'm just going to go up this life. I'm going to go through this journey. Mm-hmm. You're not going to feel so much resistance. Yeah, I think that a makes lot. more sense now. Yes. Yeah. After you explained it. Yeah. Because I was I was feeling a little like I hope she doesn't ask me what I think about. That. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, definitely. I think a lot of Americans and just people in general are like that like everything's a competition oh uh oh my gosh the amount of freaking unnecessary opinions people have about famous people is like they are not going to get any less rich or any less pretty if you hate on them (laughs) yeah and I think the interesting thing about this is a, a story that he tells where he says that he had a friend of his who worked in the church and they had a congregation that they weren't like, they wanted to go higher. They wanted to, to be bigger up in, in the church setting. But in order for them to move up, because the way that it works in the church, you know, you kind of work that job until either you pass away or until you get caught in some crazy scandal and you get kicked out of the church. That's usually how it goes. I mean, if you're in a church position, you're, you live that through your life. So mm-hmm. by him wanting to move up, he was constantly seeing the people above him as like challenges. And he was constantly kind of looking forward to someone either being caught in a scandal or passing away. Like he was literally so caught up in trying to move his career up that he he wasn't like, oh yeah, I hope these people die. But in like, in like a sense, he was like, well, I just hope these little things happen so that I can move up. And that made him start to see his coworkers as like competitive, like not friends, mm-hmm. like people to fight against, people to do better than. And instead of having genuine friendship with people, he felt like he was in competition. And he said that it started to make him feel lonely and jealous and bitter as a whole person just because of this one mindset thing. And nothing changed about him in his world. He ended up staying in the same congregation. He ended up, you know, preaching for the people he was preaching, working with the people he worked with. But when he had that mindset shift of not seeing his friends as competitors, as not being obsessed with moving up, he was mm-hmm. able to enjoy his work more, enjoy the people that he worked with more, his the like coworkers or people above him, whatever you call them he became real friends with them and was able to connect with them. And he found this peace in his life that he couldn't feel if he was looking at everyone around him as a competition, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of people are like that (laughs) without realizing it. I think, yeah, people can just be caught up in wanting to be better and better and better and forget about like, people around you they're they're not there so that you can be better than them (laughs) yeah and it's just like the concept of of keeping up with the joneses right like because somebody next to you has a nicer car you want to up your car because uh well i don't know let's go with some random name i'm trying to use a name of no one i know i don't know rachel 
let's say like, oh, Rachel has a nicer car than you. Do you really want Rachel to have a nicer car than you? You got to go out and get a better car now so that Rachel doesn't have a better car than you. But why mm-hmm. is Rachel your competitor? Why can't you be proud of Rachel? She worked hard and she got a new car. Like, why does yeah. it have to be like a competition? If you look at life as constantly trying to be better than other people, constantly trying to have more, and you're just like obsessed with other people and what they have and what you could have over them instead mm-hmm. of just, you know, being obsessed with your life and how you could be the best version of yourself or whatever. Mm-hmm. you're going to notice a difference in yourself. If you're like, everything's a competition. I need to get more, get more. Or if you're just like, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm broke. I can't afford a super nice car, but like, I'm happy because my friends are cool and we can talk about stuff like, and they can give me a ride in their nice car. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, it's just a mindset thing. And, and mm-hmm. going into mindset things, um, because like I said, I don't want to spend too long on each little thing, but food for thought, if you have any thoughts on that subject, do let us know. There is mm-hmm. one part of the book that I found really interesting and I can't go into it the way he did. Like, I, I'm just going to say this now, if you really like any of the stuff I'm talking about here, you should definitely read the book because he goes into more detail and explains things way better than I possibly could. But one thing that he does explain that I can't explain fully, but I'll explain it to the best of my ability. is just that there were a lot of different ways to view the world, but two big popular things were uh, the way that the Greek viewed the world and then kind of the more biblical side that, I don't remember what he uses to represent it, but let's just say there's two sides, right? So in in the uh, Greek side, he said there was this inherited love of pleasure. And then there's this biblical side that feels a lot of guilt. I'm going to use the word guilt. That's the best word I can come up with for this. So he says, we have these two sides of us that are fighting ourselves, right? Because one part of us, because of the way that the world started, feels that we should enjoy pleasures. You know, like I, it's kind of like YOLO, like what? We only live once. I'm going to enjoy everything that the world has to offer. But then there's this other part of us that often feels like we have to be very reserved. We can't do the wrong things. We you know, we want to make sure that we're doing things correctly. And it's just like, Mm -hmm. it's like, we all have this like conservative side to us, but then we all have this like wild party side. And me personally, I can attest to this. I definitely feel myself fighting myself a lot of the time when it comes to my free time. I'm like, there's a lot of things I should be doing that I think are the right thing to do, but I don't really want to do them. Um, But then also there's part of me that's like, you're not going to bottle a wine in the fridge. YOLO. You know, (laughs) you have these two sides of yourselves that are fighting yourselves. And the examples he brings up in the book are that let's talk about society's view of sex, right? So sometimes people see sex as like, it's beautiful and it's the best thing that's ever happened to the world. There's also this mentality around sex that it is shameful and the most destructive thing that's ever happened to our world. And this perspective comes on to everything in our world. Like, let's say food. Food Mm -hmm. is like the best thing. Food is amazing. Food is so Mm -hmm. good. But food is also terrible. It's causing the obesity (laughs) epidemic. Food is killing us in excess. And we can't make up our minds, right? We have these two sides, one that wants to party like crazy and one that's conservative. And it sets us in these terrible cycles where some people will like do things like become addicted because they're in that wild zone. But then when they realize they're addicted, they start restricting a lot. You see this a lot with food, right? People, like they, 
enjoy a lot of things. And one day they're like, oh, I want to lose some weight. And then instead of slowly backing out and, you know, doing things the healthy way, they go to a whole new extreme and they're like starving themselves practically. Diets, yeah. Diets. And then you see the same thing with a lot of addictions, right? People go really hard on something, even if not to be weird here, but even if you're talking about like, let's say an addiction to like masturbation, a lot of times people will go through these phases of really Mm -hmm. into that. And then they're like, I can never, no, I can't even think about that. It's these two extremes that live inside of us. What do you Mm -hmm. think of that? Um, I agree because uh, I do that all the time. (laughs) Right? Since I was little. (laughs) I don't masturbate all the time. What I was saying, <laughs> I was just saying, like the whole YOLO, and I mean, I think that feeling guilty can also be like a dangerous thing too. So, yeah, yeah, but that's the whole point he's trying to make here. He's not saying like, "Oh, hide your YOLO. You need to live life right." He's saying neither of these are the answer. The answer is not go to your extremes and like whoosh on everything but the answer also isn't okay like I can do anything yeah don't do anything everything's bad don't do anything but then also like so what he says in the book that I think is interesting is that he says something along the lines of like when we all die we're gonna have to answer to God of why we didn't enjoy the pleasures that he gave us in this world and uh I think basically what that means and to put it into the best terms I could put it in is like, if you believe in God, he gave us wonderful things in this world, not so that we could look at the wonderful things and be like, I can't go near that because that's can't go near that. It's bad. Evil. We were meant to like enjoy and appreciate the beautiful things of this world just at um, a normal, moderate level, you know, mm-hmm. like, sex is not, the only thing you should be doing with your life but it's not like you should never ever have sex yeah (laughs) same thing with Mm -hmm. food it's like you can't survive without eating but we have to be cognizant of those habits as well yeah and the part that really got to me was this one line that he says he said we cannot possibly be content if we are constantly at war with ourselves if one Mm -hmm. half of you is saying enjoy yourself okay, you need to do everything. And then one side of you is like, no, 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 you can't. Like, bro, what What are you doing? You're just going to feel this discontentment inside of yourself all the time when we should really be focusing on trying to properly use these wonderful things we've been given instead of Mm -hmm. having to feel like we need to indulge and then like deprive. Mm -hmm. But of course, like, it's really like weird to talk about this because it's not like, I can give you an answer. Like, yes, addiction is a very real thing. If you feel like you have any of these things, like I do suggest you seek professional help. It's just kind of the topic of conversation that I found interesting was that the way he explained it, because I think I've never really come to stop and think to myself, well, the reason that I feel a lot of stress sometimes is because I have these two extremes in me. I think recognizing that for me has recently helped me to cope with both sides. There are moments where I just want to be like, I don't care. I want to do whatever I want, but I'm able to say, Hey, you can enjoy yourself, but don't, don't go to the extreme because nothing ever feels good when you go extreme. But then there's also a part of me, a lot of the times, and this happens to me so much because I am very much like a very 
attentive person and my Google calendar is insane. And I have my, I have a to-do list anyways. Mm -hmm. I can very easily be that kind of person who is just like, mark the things off my list, get things done, get things done. It's all serious. We have to stick to every minute on this chart, but life wasn't made to stick to every minute on the chart, but life also wasn't made to, you know, overindulge and and go crazy. We have to be (laughs) able to recognize when we're doing this so we can balance ourselves out. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think we're a good fit because like, We're kind of on the opposite ends of those extremes. Like you're like, I want to get all this done. And I'm like, let's just chill out. Let's just have a lazy day every day. (laughs) Yeah. And I think, I mean, that could be an interesting conversation um, aside from just this. So I don't want to talk about too much because like I said, we're going to be talking forever. But um, I do think you're right. Like we do. I think we're very fortunate to balance each other out in that aspect. Because before I met you, I definitely struggled way more with the feeling of guilt and not allowing myself to enjoy myself and I think that being with you has helped me learn to let go of that extreme sometimes because like I really do you see my google calendar every day I plan every waking minute and you know what when I go to bed at night and I don't finish every task or if I didn't do everything perfectly on task I don't feel as bad as I used to. I used to feel terrible. I used to feel like a failure if I didn't accomplish everything on my list. There were so many times in college where I would stay up till like 4 a.m. to make sure I got everything done. But these days- Yeah, because you have so many things on your list. <laughs> yeah, but these days I like give myself grace. Like I don't get things done today. Like I, I try to like focus on this is what I did get done and I took mm-hmm. time to rest and take care of myself and I spoke to my family and took care of my life as opposed mm-hmm. to just this constant need to get things done, but not really do anything. And and I do think that sometimes I, I appreciate your chill, but there are sometimes I'm like, we have had this thing on our to-do list for two weeks now. Can we get through it? So I think we do balance each other out in that way. But what I think is important and something that this book really helps is that you should be able to work on these things and we should want to work on these things on our own. It is great to have people in our lives that support us in our growth and that can help us with these things. So like, I think we, we definitely do a good job of helping each other grow. But what I think that is important is that we're able to do this for ourselves too, even without each other, because when you're around, it is way easier for me to chill. But I have found that since I've been learning that from you, even when I'm on my own, I'm able to give myself that grace in my alone time. And I do see you like start to, you know, sometimes you're alone, you're like, oh, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to do this thing now because I have the time and I'm going to do it. So I do think that um, the importance of understanding this difference between this extreme of wanting to do a bunch and not letting yourself do anything is to just be able to call yourself out when one side is trying to take over the other, because it's all about balancing Mm -hmm. these two parts of ourselves. We shouldn't be like chilling 24 seven, but we also shouldn't be like type A stressing about everything and never letting ourselves chill. Life is about that balance. Yeah, I agree. Balance is key. That was a Mrs. Spitfire. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, this next topic, since, you know, that was one big one. This next one is also a huge one. So we can't spend forever on this, but it is it definitely goes into what we were just talking about. There is a very true fear of intimacy in the world these days. And 
one thing that he says in this book that really sticks out, and I know he said it to stick out. He said, 20 years ago, detachment and the inability to feel were signs of schizophrenia. But these days, detachment and the inability to feel is usually most people's coping mechanism to deal with all of the things that are happening in the world. And I think this is where we can bring into the conversation all the other aspects of life. Like, yeah, it's been hard. 2020 has been difficult. A lot of things are being thrown our way. The world is changing. We're, we're really pointing out the injustices and the crazy things that still is 2021. And there's some things that don't need to be happening, but still are. And it's really easy for all of this emotion and all of this pain. How do we deal with all of this? The world has come to this place where we can't, we shut down. Yeah, it is tough. And guys, she's calling me out because <laughs> <laughs> um, I have definitely been like that, but I'm getting better about talking about my feelings and such. But uh, yeah, uh, I'm an INFP, so, <laughs> uh, which is a personality type. And for my personality type, it's really hard for us to Okay, honestly, yeah, it's, it's, it can be, it can be really uncomfortable and weird to talk to, to, to get into feelings and such, you know? Yeah. No, and, you don't know, because. <laughs> okay, I do know, first of all, I mean, I'm an INFJ, um, and everyone knows that INFJs are hardcore feelers, but also INFJs do have a tendency to over feel themselves into the same thing, detachment, um, but what he's talking about here, I think everyone experienced this, R regardless of personality type, I think everyone can feel this way sometimes when things get overwhelming, when we feel so much feelings that we don't know what to do, uh, the easiest thing to do is to kind of shut ourselves down so that mm -hmm. we don't have to feel all of that because it's, yeah. it's just hard, you know, when a lot of things are happening. And, and the problem with this is that it makes a lot of sense in 2020, it, it no one's blaming you if you decided to shut down emotionally for a while because of everything that's happening. No one's ever blaming you for that. But it, it's just definitely something that a lot of people went through because of all the crazy stuff happening in the world. But before 2020, before everything broke out, this was still a really common thing for people to shut down for, for anything. And the example that he uses that I think will hit home for so many people is about love. And he talks about this couple in the story or in his book and a couple once came up to him about their wedding and together this fiance, like these two fiancés came up to him and they were like, when we do the vows, do you mind changing until death do us part to as long as our love lasts? And he was like, uh, what? You want me to change how I marry you two? And they were like, well, we just want it to be that if one of us stops loving the other, we don't have to feel guilty about ending this thing. And um, wow, <laughs> it was just a heavy part to read because that's real. Like that's a very real struggle a lot of people go through these days. Uh, I'm a part of that generation and you are too, where like the generation before us, there's a lot of divorce happening there. A lot of broken yeah. marriages, a lot of abuse and a lot of 
just stories of, of neglect and all these things. A lot of people, the examples that were in their lives growing up, the couples, whether it was their own parents, whether it was their friends' parents, whether it was even the people they see on TV, it was just so common to see broken love that a lot of people have internalized this stuff. And Mm -hmm. it's kind of come to this point where nobody wants to trust because trusting means you could get hurt and no one wants to feel hurt. So what do, what do Mm -hmm. we do? We block ourselves from feeling anything. And, and the issue with that is that if you don't feel pain, you're not even, you're not going to, if you, if you're afraid of feeling pain, you're going to stop yourself from feeling joy. So in order to Mm -hmm. avoid the deepest pains of this world, you're also avoiding the deepest joys of this world. Yeah, I think it happens to a lot of people where like, I don't know, like first, you know, like your parents, I mean, we've talked about this before. We, I know exactly one person whose parents are still together. <laughs> um, so it's just like, yeah, I mean, and I spent a, a, a big majority of my I don't know I spend a lot of time uh thinking that I was never going to get married or anything like that and I mean I think it does make a difference in how you like I mean I guess if I'm just talking about relationships and stuff it, it it made a difference in that for sure um but like it it could be with like yeah anything <laughs> Yeah, I think like with any relationship, right? If you're afraid that your friends are gonna, I don't know. Like if you're afraid that being open with your friends about who you are or whatever is gonna make them judge you, or if you're afraid of being hurt by friends or being left by friends, you're probably never gonna open up to your friends the way that you would if you didn't have those fears, you know? Mm -hmm. And you can only get close to people if you get vulnerable with them. That goes for parents, siblings, friends, your partner, like it doesn't matter who it is. You can only be like really truly close to someone if you're vulnerable with them. But a lot of people aren't willing to be vulnerable because vulnerability means you could get hurt. But the problem Mm -hmm. is you will feel an emptiness or like a pain in your life if you're never able to be vulnerable with anyone. If you're not that close (laughs) with anyone, that just hurts. You know, you want to feel like there are people that you can be your most honest self with. There are people you can open up to. And mm-hmm. if we numb ourselves off from pain and never let ourselves be vulnerable with anyone, we also can't get close to people because that's what vulnerability yeah. does. Mm-hmm. And you miss out on a lot of things that like we like we're talking about, like the purposes of life and stuff. And uh, I think a lot of a lot of people, myself included, get a big part of our purpose and stuff from our relationships and people who are around us and stuff. And if you can't be vulnerable or get super close to anyone, then like it'd probably be really easy to feel super meaningless. Yeah. And that's kind of what I was saying earlier when I said like, there's like a loneliness epidemic in our world. It's a real thing. Like community isn't valued the same way that it used to be. And I think that a a lot of this distrust and fear of being hurt, it contributes greatly. Like it's one of the biggest contributors to the loneliness epidemic, because if we're not willing to be vulnerable with each other, if we're not willing to be real with each other, if we're not willing to like work with each other on those levels, how do we, you know, expect 
to end our feelings of loneliness. And then going back to the example I gave with the couple, because I just want to talk about this because it's a very important aspect as to why it's a dangerous mentality to have to like not want to go all in. When you want a relationship to thrive, when you want to feel true love, whether that's with your friends or your family, true love can be felt platonically as well as romantically. If you want to feel true love, you need to open up. That's how love happens. And if you can't open up to your partner so much, if you can't devote yourself to the point where you're like, till, you know, if you're, if you're going to marry someone, you don't have to get married. You know, I'm not sitting here saying you need to get married, but if you want to marry someone, you cannot half-ass a marriage. You cannot go into a marriage thinking, maybe I want you, maybe I don't, I'm not sure yet. The whole point in marriage is that you two decided you're sure about each other. You know, yeah. so that's why the couple statement is so interesting. They're like, we're choosing to marry each other, yet we're not going to devote ourselves to each other. That's what marriage is. That's the beauty of marriage is you're devoting yourself to your partner till death do you part. And he says to them, he says, look, I don't mean to be harsh, but I'm not going to say that at your at your wedding, because if you like marriages are hard, people who love each other can tell you that marriages are still hard. You love someone doesn't mean it's easy. When two people are involved in anything, it's hard. So if you go into a marriage half-heartedly, not even sure if it's going to work, what makes you think it's going to work? Because there are couples who go into it with their whole heart and still struggle to make it work. If you go into a marriage with half your heart, it's probably not going to thrive. And so that's just kind of what happens when we don't this, this feeling of not being able to open up, it ends up becoming this thing where you won't feel the same strength in a relationship that you should, whether it's a marriage or a friendship. If you are closing yourself off and not willing to commit yourself to a person, not willing to open up to a person, not willing to be vulnerable to a person, the odds of you having meaningful lifelong relationships are just going to be lower. Mm-hmm. Anyways, yeah, <laughs> I, I just have a lot to say about that because it is it is kind of a, a painful thing to see. And I see it a lot and I've done it before in my life, too. You know, like there were definitely and I'm just going to be real here because I think that the only way to talk about a book like this and Harold Kushner does it a lot in the book. He talks about his own life. And the only way to talk about these things and be a real person is to talk about your experience with them. And I mean, I've gotten my heart broken before, and I can definitely tell you that I went through a phase of being bitter and shutting myself off because it hurt, right? It hurt to get your heart broken. So in order to avoid that, I didn't let myself be vulnerable for ages. And I'm not going to say I was never happy during that time period. That's traumatic. I had happy moments, but since I've been in a relationship with you, I finally opened myself up fully to someone again in a way I wouldn't have imagined when I was being really bitter. And I think that it's a joy I wasn't experiencing all those years of just being like, uh, I'm tough, I'm cool. I went to the gym all the time. I was getting some mean muscles. I don't have quite as much muscle anymore, but you know what I do she have? Does. <laughs> you know what I do have? I, I have this feeling of, wow, I'm actually being myself with someone and it feels good to not be numbing myself out because all I was doing was trying not to get hurt again. And I can be honest about that. Like, it's hard to say, it's kind of awkward to say uh, publicly, but like after getting hurt, I didn't want to get hurt again. I tried not to get too close to people. I got hurt by a lot of people in college and it made me not want to be close to people for a long time. But I will say 
that there were some people that I gave a chance to you and my friend Adrian, I'll definitely say is someone who I like let myself be very vulnerable with. And it's both of these relationships have worked out great for me. Like I have a really great friend who I love talking to and I have you and I have a lot of friends that didn't hurt me. And it's easy to let the people who do hurt you and the people who have made your life hard to be like, I want to shut myself down emotionally because I want to feel that pain. But when I look at the people who I was vulnerable to and didn't hurt me, like my best friend Darius, and I could just keep naming people. Like when I think of those people, it's like, it is worth it to be vulnerable because yes, I did get hurt a lot by people because I was a very open, vulnerable person who let myself be vulnerable to a lot of people. And that led to me getting hurt a bunch. But I, I could not imagine my life not being vulnerable just to avoid that pain. Because if I, was, if I wasn't that vulnerable, I would have also avoided you, Adrian, Darius, like the, the good things in my life. And it was yeah. worth it feeling pain to feel joy. Yeah. <laughs> it does make a lot of sense because, you know, this is where like, I think we, you know, balance each other out too. Because like, I'm not going to say that I've been like hurt by a bunch of people, but I do know that like, for a while, like, I, I think, like, most of, like, my high school, and probably, like, what made me, like, my high school experience not very fun was that I don't know why, but I was terrified of being hurt by, like, friends. I didn't want anybody to, like, talk shit about me or, like, go behind my back and do anything, and I, like, didn't make any friends, <laughs> like, not very many, and I, I think that if I would have gone through my early teenage years with a different mindset that like not every teenager is mean <laughs> I thought everybody was out to get me and like I think I missed out on on that stuff that you're saying that like you know you were vulnerable with people and some people did hurt you but a lot of people you you got like lifelong friends from that and I'm, I'm not gonna say you know and I mean that height in high school, I, I did make some, some, some good friends too. Like I wasn't completely not talking to anyone, but I think it would have been completely different um, if I would have you know, done things differently and been more vulnerable with people. Cause oof, if, if you would have seen me in high school, you would have thought that <laughs> I went through some shit, which I didn't. I, just, <laughs> I was just scared of people. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I can definitely attest to that too, like in my own life, like, like I said, there were periods of time in my life where I was less vulnerable because I had been hurt and decided that it was better to not be vulnerable and not get hurt than to um, be vulnerable and to feel those hurts. But I think, you know, I've come to a point in my life where I think I, I'm starting to see that that's just not how I want to do it anymore because I did that too, like uh, in a lot of different time periods in my life, like kind of just out of fear of being hurt, wasn't really trying to talk to anyone. Like even very recently, um, I would say like I was struggling when I first graduated from, uh, from college. <laughs> I don't know why I couldn't think of college. I was struggling when I first graduated from college and it kind of kept me from really reaching out to people or talking to that many people. And I started to feel really lonely and isolated. And it was weird for me because I was very used to being like around a lot of people and close to a lot of people, but actually, okay, wait, this is not a therapy session. So I'm not going to go into it too much. But when this pandemic started, 
I actually had two people very close to me hurt me really, really close people. And those two experiences left me not feeling like I could trust anyone. And you could attest to this uh, for the longest time. I felt like you were the only person I could trust. And I think that was not very healthy for me as a person or for our relationship. But I think when I finally kind of came to this realization, I went to therapy. I am plugging therapy here. If you, if you have access to therapy, I think therapy is great. But, you know, talking to my therapist and kind of working through a lot of that stuff that happened, I realized that like, yeah, I, I was hurt by a lot of random things in college. And then I was also hurt at the start of this pandemic. And it kind of left me feeling like I couldn't be vulnerable or trust anyone. But as soon as I started being vulnerable and trusting again, I have new friends or I'm not only do I have new friends, I'm connecting with my old friends in a way that I wasn't when I was feeling like I couldn't trust anyone. I'm reaching out to my friends more, telling them that I care, having more conversations with them, trying to video call them more. And it feels so good because you know what? I have, I have reached out to someone in this pandemic of maybe a couple people and they just kind of ignored me, left me on red. I don't care. You know, people are so afraid of rejection and I'm afraid, I used to be so afraid of rejection, but now I'm just like, okay, like if I'm afraid of rejection, then I'll never try. But if I try a bunch and 13 people don't reject me, but three people do, I don't know where I came up with those numbers. If like a couple of people reject me, but a bunch of other people end up getting closer to me, then it was worth it. And that's mm-hmm. something he talks about in this book. And something that a lot of people do talk about these days is the fact that this generation has this weird thing where you can't feel pain. Uh, you, you just avoid pain at all costs. You don't feel yeah. pain, but we're supposed to feel pain. We're supposed to feel mm-hmm. a little jealous sometimes, a little bit angry. We're supposed to yeah. feel a little bit sad and, and a little rejected. We have to embrace those feelings because if we run from every bad feeling ever, we'll never feel anything good. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't know if I I told you about this like video about like being lonely that like Garrett Watts like talked about once and I watched it and I just thought it was amazing. And it talks about like how like rejection or not rejection, but like feeling lonely and stuff. It's like literally it was an evolutionary thing like for humans to like not want to be lonely because like back in the day they were we were tribe people so yeah you know we flourished with tri- like you know with community and stuff and like feeling disconnected from that and not having that it literally is like it's like a thing that starts in our body and then you know goes to our mind and stuff that that's not it's not what we were meant it's not how we were built <laughs> yeah oh yeah and um since this book is about religion, then I can just say that like, yeah, it it does talk like a a lot of religious themes are about how like we were meant to be a community. But also when I think about things that aren't religious for people who want a different perspective, there's this book uh, called Lost Connections. I've told you about it a lot. So Lost Connections is a book that I really love as well. And he talks about just a lot of causes of depression that aren't just biological. And one of the main causes that he calls out is a lack of community and feeling lonely because they, they I, I can't even go into it. This, this book, this is that's not the book we're talking about. We're going to talk about that book someday. Don't worry about it. But yeah, I, I totally agree. Like we were meant to be a community. We were meant to be with other people. That's how humans should be. We, we need each other and mm-hmm. not being vulnerable to other people, not letting ourselves be close to other people, detaching ourselves from our community and isolating ourselves it's like a recipe for self-disaster. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. People wonder why they're, they're 
so upset about everything like yeah we're we're tribe people whatever it's called yeah and um so we're just gonna keep going because we still have a little bit more to get through but but don't worry we'll get to it so i'm gonna shift gears a little bit but the conversation is still gonna be around the same general thing so bear with me for a second so et you know the story of et phone home so in the story of I've never Pizza, actually seen that movie. <laughs> really? Do you know what it's about though? Yeah. Uh kind of like an alien coming down to earth. In a very general <laughs> sense. For anyone who's never seen ET, in a very general sense, what's happening in the story is the kids want to protect ET. The scientists want to take ET and study him. Okay. So that's just a very basic understanding of what happens in ET. Um and, and the reason I bring that up is because he brings it up as an example in this book. He uses ET to explain how looking with our human eyes is very limited because we have this need to want to understand everything and to want to like, ah, like scientifically prove or everything has to be logical when sometimes we just need to feel like we're humans. Like that's a big part of the human experience is we need to feel the kids in ET they were not obsessed with information and knowledge and gaining from ET. They, they found this extraterrestrial guy from outer space and they just wanted to love on him and be friends with him and feel with him. But the scientists mm-hmm. were like, no, we got to get all the information. There's an ET, there's an alien. We got to get a hold of him. But the kids, mm-hmm. the kids just enjoyed ET. The whole, the whole reason people love ET is because it's like they brought ET home without killing him. But those scientists were ready to murder ET <laughs> for information. And the point he's trying to bring up by bringing up this is, like I said, sometimes being obsessed with knowledge and intellect and just wanting to know can make us less human because we're sometimes, sometimes we don't need to know the answer to everything. Sometimes we do just need to feel and be a people Mm -hmm. who let ourselves feel. Yeah. Does that make sense? (laughs) Yeah, it does make sense. Like, I mean, like, yeah. I understand where people are coming from wanting to like understand everything you know like that's like I feel like one of the things that sets humans apart from other things (laughs) but um I think the fact that we can feel also sets us apart too and like yeah I mean there's like it's like yeah (laughs) yeah and what he's trying to say here is not that knowledge is bad it's that we can't let our want for knowledge and intellect, we can't let that overpower what it means to be human. We can't let that overpower our feelings because that does happen a lot in our world. You know, like it's not that crazy to think that, okay, if some amazing, really cool guy like ET came down to our earth, there's going to be some people who want to protect him and some people who are just like profit and what can Mm -hmm. we learn? What can we advance here? And that we see yeah. that a lot in our world. Like people, like we have all kinds of technology and shit coming out that we don't need. We have literally, it's the sickest thing ever when you go on certain websites and you realize, oh, look at these clothes that we don't need. They're being made by kids who are being exploited on the other part of the world. Like it's literally knowledge and wanting more and just kind of obsessing over the wrong things and not feeling for humans and what it means to actually be a good human can like it can literally dehumanize us if we become obsessed with that kind of stuff. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so we have the ET example, right? Where he's just kind of trying to warn us about not being too 
you know, obsessed with the things aspect and the always thinking and, and using our, you know, fears and like, I don't want to be rejected. I don't want this. I don't want that to stop us from being human and vulnerable and feeling our emotions. And something interesting that he brings up in this book is how, cause, cause like you said, like with the Garrett Watts video, a lot of this stuff, like you can look at our past and see where it's coming from. Well, this mentality of I need to fend for me and I need to protect me it actually is very evolutionary as well. And something that you can link it to heavily is the Great Depression. And he talks about how during the Great Depression, life changed for everyone. I mean, back during the Great Depression, I'm, I'm reading right now, The Green Mile by Stephen King. And this book also took place during the Great Depression. And something he talks about in this the book, The Green Mile is he's always saying like, yeah, I don't like my job. You know, he works on death row. He's like, I don't particularly love my job, but I can't leave my job. Nobody, nobody during the Great Depression, he says in the book, nobody in the Great Depression is going to leave a job if it's stable, because that is more than most people have. In the Great mm -hmm. Depression, people were not like, oh, let me get a different job because I don't like this one. People were like, I have a job. I need to keep it. Mm -hmm. This, the struggle was real. The struggle is real still now. And we're feeling literally like we're going through what feels like the start of a great depression because of this pandemic i mean people are losing their jobs it's way harder to get work these days mm -hmm. and the great depression was the first you know great depression was the last time in history we saw something like this really spark and it went huge and because people like resources were scarce work was scarce it no longer was the old mentality way of things of like, well, you have all this leeway and you, you know, you just take care of your family. This was when you can get work. If you can get work, get work. If you can get work, do whatever you need to do to work. You got to yeah. get a job. You got to pay your bills. Money mm -hmm. changed so much. This was when, okay, it's not nine to five. It's nine to six. It's nine to seven. It's nine to eight. There are people uh, who work mm -hmm. nine to nine, 12 plus hours a day. And mm -hmm. this was when 40 hours used to be like the maximum work week. No, most people work more than 40 hours these days. And when this stuff started happening, when the world started changing and the mentality around money and the Great Depression made people feel this scarcity, it made people feel like, I got to look out for me, me. Mm -hmm. And it, it closed off our community-ness because it no longer became we're this world of people trying to work together for this better goal. It's, I need to pay my rent today. I don't care what happens mm -hmm. to the person next to me. It's about survival me. of the fittest. Yeah. Survival of the wealthiest. And it's crazy how that, I mean, when was the Great Depression? Like, I don't know. Oh, I wish I knew history more. <laughs> Maybe like 100 years ago. I don't know. I feel like 1920s. I don't know for sure. Maybe. But um, <laughs> it's crazy that something that long ago um, like affects us so much now. Like, even like me who like I mean I've only been living on my own for like a year ish but like I have so many times felt like oh my gosh like how like am I gonna am I gonna especially I mean when I first moved out I was so scared I was like I'm not gonna make it I'm not gonna be able to pay everything I need to so terrified yeah but like I'm fine I've made it. <laughs> yeah. And so that, that brings up an interesting topic because what I wanted to talk about was like how it kind of 
it can dehumanize us this new way of life because what happens is like like we said earlier life shouldn't be a competition it shouldn't be about winning because if somebody wins somebody needs to lose but Mm -hmm. this like I need to take care of myself mentality somehow it went from you know I need to take care of myself I need to take care of my family to like greed it became like a greedy thing like people who have enough just want more and Mm -hmm. people who don't have enough are fighting to make ends meet and it becomes this imbalance in society that actually in the end I think has just made us really inhumane because Mm -hmm. I see like there's celebrities and rich all kinds of rich people who are rich for nothing they don't need to be rich and they're not doing anything to help the problems of the world, the the homeless yeah. and the mm-hmm. people who like literally have nothing and are just trying to take care of their family. Yeah. And it's just kind of like this great imbalance is being exacerbated by, mm-hmm. by this feeling, this need to fend for ourselves. It started out innocent. I just need to take care of my family. And it turned yeah. into this greedy need to always want more, to always want excess, mm-hmm. to always always want more if you have more and to keep other people down so that you can stay up yeah and I I don't know this this reminds me of like like discussions I used to have like in school like about like how the American dream has like changed and all like it used to be like oh I want to you know um just go to my job come back and be able to give my kids and family, you know, a whole, a full meal. So they don't go hungry. Like that used to be the American dream, just like regular stuff. And now it's like, oh, I want five cars, um, a mansion and a beach house and a house in the mountains too. And like, I understand wanting like more for like wanting to be able to give more for to your like kids than what like, you know, your parents could, I get that, you know, you want to do better for them um not that like our parents suck or anything but like I get that that whole kind of thing but I just feel like exploiting other people probably isn't a good way like I I feel like you know we like I understand wanting more but we don't need to give our kids like the entire world because then what's what's everybody else gonna gonna have like there obviously is you know, an imbalance in like freaking the wealth distributed, like <laughs> that's when it's like, when it's like so excessive where it's like, oh yeah, my kid is going to inherit a billion dollars. Like what is your kid going to do with a billion dollars? Please tell me. <laughs> yeah. And, and that can become a, a whole nother discussion, which I am looking at the time now and I'm just going to have to say that the, we're going to have to do a part two to this later. Because we're our discussion has totally like shifted from everything in the book to just being more of like what we're thinking on top of it, which is good. But I just think we're gonna have to end up doing a part two later. So I just want to say that now, because uh, yeah, we're not gonna get through all of my notes I have still because I still have a lot of things that I want to talk about in this book. But I do like this discussion, so I just want to keep it going until we finish up here. But I, I totally agree that like it kind of has gone too extreme I think that that's what I would say like like you said like there's that wanting to do better for your family wanting to do better for the people uh after you but then there's also this you know 
I'm trying to find out the best way to put it. It's like, mm-hmm. like we, like we keep saying it's, it's about like something more has to matter. That's what he's trying to say in this book. When all you've ever wanted isn't enough. It, it shouldn't be about stuff, but it's become about stuff. What it mm-hmm. should be about is, you know, caring about the person next to you. You want to give more to your kids because you want them to thrive, to not starve, to not worry about if they're going to have a roof over their head. That's what you want for your kids. Because if you're not, you know, starving, if you have a roof over your head, you can more, way more easily enjoy the time with the people you have. You can enjoy the person next to you. You can enjoy the meal in front of you without the worries but what happens when that shifts into I need more stuff I need more acquiring you're no longer (laughs) obsessed with taking care of your family you're obsessed with obtaining things you're obsessed with obtaining money you're obsessed with obtaining status and the sad thing that happens when that shift happens when you go from I just want to give them all that they need or I want to give my life and my family and my friends all that they need so that we can thrive together when it becomes, I want all this stuff and I want to get all this stuff for all these people. Now you're like focusing on the stuff. And that's Mm -hmm. when it's so easy to accidentally treat people not as good as you should. That's when Mm -hmm. it's easy to destroy relationships that you were trying to take care of. Right. This is why we see so often, like people get married and they, they bid a, they buy a big house together and they get all the things they could ever want, but then they start having you know, fights over finances and all these things. And then you have two people who had all this stuff and now they're splitting their debts on the divorce papers because Mm -hmm. it started out being, I want the best for my family. And somehow it became about the stuff and the family fell Mm -hmm. behind. Yeah. I'm sorry. Definitely. No, that's okay. (laughs) No, yeah, of course. And like, I think it's really hard now, like, because... I mean, like, it's so easy to worry about things and like, yeah, like having money, whether we like to think about it or not, it does make a huge difference in, I don't think in happiness or anything, but I think in like stress, like being less stressed, like it can definitely help. But I think that there is like a point, like, like, if somebody is making, I mean, just kidding. I'm not going to say a number because I really don't know about numbers and stuff, but like, I think that there is a point where it definitely like you can, you know, you want to grow, you want to make enough money so that you're not worrying about making ends meet and all that stuff. And then it gets to a point where it's like, you have everything you need. Like you can have health insurance, you can, you know, have a car to get around and stuff. And then it gets like, too much I don't know if that really made sense no. but like there's a certain point where it's like why do you need five cars no yeah you're completely right this is actually a real thing um I don't remember what the number is I wish I did but basically yeah they're they have done studies and so you know like people say money doesn't buy happiness okay not entirely true money does buy happiness to a very small extent and then when you go over that you will not get any happier in fact you tend to get less happy so i don't know what that exact number is i think it's somewhere along the lines of like probably changes also depending on like a single person well yeah yeah it it changes depending like you know obviously a single person is not going to need as much money as somebody who has like a family but they just kind of gave like an estimate of like if you make above like let's let's just put the number at like 
70 grand because that's a lot of money in, in my eyes that's a lot of flipping money um, same so you make that much money you are you have a savings account you have the car that you need you have the roof over your head you always know that food's coming into your door you got all the clothes that you could need for all the weather situations you could encounter you have everything you need to live comfortably and without fear, right? If you lost your job tomorrow, you, your savings account's okay. You'll have enough time to get another job. You're kind of Hakuna Matata in a sense. That's where money buys happiness. But mm-hmm. beyond that, right? Like, let's say you have that Hakuna Matata status. You have vacation time and you have money to go on vacation with your family. You could totally thrive in that situation. Like, after work, you spend time with your family, you do a nice workout, you eat a healthy meal, you do all the good jazz, right? And then on the weekends, you party with your friends a little bit in moderation, you could live so happily that way. But once you've gotten to that point, you know, you have all that you could need to live comfortably. And now you can actually start enjoying your time with the people around you and enjoy your hobbies and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. After that, what the hell is money going to get you? nothing. It's just going to make you obsessed with money. If you keep focusing on money and buying more things. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. We could go on with this discussion forever, but I, I, I do think we've been talking for quite a while about this. So when I edit it, it's, it's going to be a good while, but I think we should both kind of give some kind of final remarks and what we think. And yes, there will be a part two to this, but the get psych podcast is currently a monthly thing. So we'll see you next month. Uh, but <laughs> Um, you have any last words or thoughts to give on the matter? Uh, yeah. Okay. How about you go? Okay. No, no, no. I'll go first. Then you can go. Um, yeah. Don't let money be your end goal or whatever, (laughs) because you won't find happiness. (laughs) Also, I have a question for people. Um, yeah. What do you, what help, what gives you meaning? <laughs> what gives you meaning? In life. Yeah. What do you, what do you wake up and look forward to? Food for thought question. question. Yeah. It's food for thought. Yeah. What's your answer? My answer? Yeah. What gives me meaning? What wakes me up? Yeah. Uh, to me, I think what has really been like the most meaningful things to me lately are, of course, just taking care of the people I love. I think that's my number one. Like, I'd like to, you know, ask my friends how they're doing, chat with them, catch up with them. Like, I think I just love people <laughs> and I love like being close to people and checking up on people and having discussions with people like that's why I do this podcast that's why I say I don't know if I say it in the intro or the outro but I say like let's get psyched together like it's best when done together I think mm-hmm. community is everything to me so checking up on people and being a part of that is everything but I also think that recently the second biggest thing to me is um we already talked a little bit about it in this podcast and we'll get into it a little bit more in part two It's just that I think that there are a lot of injustices and things in this world that I just don't agree with. And I think being outspoken about them and really trying to also do stuff, like just actually do stuff in my day-to-day life to try to make the small differences that I can um, kind of drives me, you know, because I'm like, if I could help one person today, that's one more person in the world that could get impacted. And if I could do one thing to make my community better that's one more thing that's been done 
And uh, we'll talk about this more in the next one, but just to give a little teaser, because this is one part of the book that I absolutely love. He talks about how, what's stronger, water or a rock? Is one droplet of water stronger than a rock? No, right? So Mm -hmm. you can't, like one droplet of water is not going to break a rock. But what happens when there's a river flowing and there's like a rock settlement nearby? Over years and years, the rock's going to erode, right? Mm -hmm. No individual water droplet is stronger than a rock. But Mm -hmm. enough water droplets over a period of time is going to erode that rock away and the water's going to win. The rock's not going to win. The water's going to win. And we can think of ourselves as like little water droplets. Maybe what I'm doing right now is not going to break the rock of injustices in the world. Maybe it's not going to completely alter the course of history in my lifetime. But what I do can contribute to that effort to tear down that rock. And and Mm -hmm. that's kind of what drives me in the morning is to think maybe maybe I don't have to feel hopeless. I don't, I don't feel hopeless. I truly believe that if I can make a small difference in my life, in my family and friends' life, and in my community, that I'm contributing to an effort that a lot of people are making. And together, over a few generations, we can make a difference. But I, I want to be one of those water droplets. You know, one water droplet's not going to break the rock. But I think that me, you, anyone listening that wants to try to make a difference in this world and tries, sometimes it's easy to feel hopeless and wake up in the morning and be like, why do I do this? But remind yourself that maybe your water droplet isn't going to break the rock, but all of ours together, it's going to, it's going to beat the rock one day. Whenever you say the rock, I just think about like, um, the actor of the rock. Okay. Me says something very deep and motivational. You comes in with the rock right after. No, but I I like that uh, metaphor. I guess. I don't know. Just something he said in the book. He said in the book. I can't say it was my idea. It was his. Quote. Quote and figure of uh, speech. I like that a lot. Um, Yeah. So that's kind of my final words. Do you have anything else you want to say? Do you want to answer your question? Uh, I mean, it's the same people. I thought you were gonna be cute and say me, but I'll be cute and say you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just oh my gosh. I mean, of course, I said the people I love in my life, so that definitely includes you. <laughs> All right. <laughs> me. Aww. <laughs> yes. Um, so sweet. That's why that's why we do this podcast. Let's get psyched about these things together because I truly believe that we we can make a difference in this world. I like to think about this stuff because it's good food for thought. It helps, you know, improving your life. I think that the more I kind of like think about these things and I'm like, what do I really care about? I ask myself that question a lot. You don't, you don't even understand so much through my day-to-day life making decisions. I'm like, what, what do I actually care about? What impact do I actually want to make? And it really helps when you're making decisions to go through the lens of, in the, the grand scheme of things, what actually matters to me. And so <laughs> that's kind of what I'm talking about here with this book. That's what Harold Kushner is talking about. What really matters to you? What, what kind of difference do you want to make in this world? What's the meaning? That's not what the whole book's about. You, you really got to read this book. I mean, it's just, it's a book all about life. So honestly, it's very hard to keep this conversation it's linear because you can talk about all kinds of things in life, 
Also, I have ADHD yeah. and that probably shows through in the way I talk about things. So yeah, I could never make this make sense the way I want it to. But for all, intents, <laughs> for all intents and purposes, I hope you got something out of listening to this podcast. And I hope you're as excited for part two as I am because I absolutely love this book. It's usually pretty cheap. You can find this book used because it's a really old book. I, I don't know five bucks or so it's definitely worth the investment this is an investment because it's a good book so i don't know why i'm trying to sell you this book it's a great book if you want to read it so we can discuss it do so so that's it thank you for it's listening. 10 30 p.m on a weeknight Sorry. okay okay now everyone knows it's 10 30 we haven't had dinner yet so we're gonna eat dinner but um Thank you so much for listening, but also thank you, Miss Psyched, for joining me again and having this discussion. Looking forward to finishing this with you another time, because as you pointed out, it's 10.30 p.m. and we need to eat dinner. So um, thank you so much for listening. If you made it this far, then yeah, answer Ella's question. You know, what? what's your meaningful thing? What gets you up in the morning? And also... Let me know if anything that we talked about sparked any thoughts to you. If you have a different perspective on something, is there something that we said that you feel differently about or that you agree with? Definitely let me know. Cause like I said, this is like one of my absolute favorite books and I could talk about this stuff all day. I do. I talk about it all day to myself in my head. So thank you so and much like for to listening. Get psyched together. <laughs> yes, we do. We love to get psyched together. So get psyched with us. And uh, until next time, stay psyched. Stay psyched. Thank you so much for listening. The intro and outro beat used on this podcast was made by my friend and producer, PME. He's super talented, so make sure to check him out. His links are always in the description. And as always, let me know what you're getting psyched about. I do this podcast because I think getting psyched is done best when we do it together. So please let me know. And until next time, stay psyched.